for now, it's in her court because I don't want to interfere. Now I don't need to because I know where I fit, right? Yeah. So people, people say to me, well, why don't, you, why don't you just reach out? I say, well, because it's not my business. you know. And if I do that, it will damage any relationship that we have right now. So I don't need it. Who am I? 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 This is Who Am I Really? A podcast about adoptees that have located and connected with their biological family members. I'm Damon Davis, and today you're going to hear from Mike. He called me from Modesto, California. Mike is a self-proclaimed introvert who was raised by a family of performers. With his adopted brother's help, Mike located his birth family, was well-received on his paternal side, but was blocked out by a wall of defense by his birth mother. Thankfully, Mike approached reunion with no expectations and lots of patience, so he held out hope that one day she would change her mind about meeting him. This is Mike's journey. Mike led into our conversation sharing that two years ago, he had a stroke. Over these last two years, it would have been challenging for him to have been on the podcast because of the stroke. Mike is a high school teacher, and his return to work was challenging for a while. The first thing I was really curious about was Mike's recovery and how he's doing. I would say, I tell people I'm about 80%. You know, even there's a huge change around March because I was very self-conscious about speaking, especially with my students. Around March, I just noticed that I was speaking normally, relatively, and even my students noticed. And so it's been, yeah, so it's been a, it's been a road, but still recovering. Mike's family moved from Georgetown, Texas, to Modesto, California, when he was little. Around eight years old, Mike had gotten upset with his brother, who is also adopted, and is three years older than Mike. Little Mike decided he was going to run away from home in the morning before anyone woke up because he was so angry. It was summertime, so Mike tried to sleep outside in the park. But as the sun came up, he realized he didn't have anywhere to go. He went back to his street to a friend's house, three doors down from his own house, where one of his friends was having a sleepover with another kid, and they were having breakfast. His mom invited me in, so I spent the day there. It was three doors down from our house. Mm. And in the evening, my dad, as he would do, he would call from the street and say, you know, time for dinner. And so I'd come back home. And my brother actually is also the, was the best friend of the other kid that was just across the street from my best friend. And so when he, when my brother saw me, he said, oh, you didn't leave very long. <laughs> I was like, well, yeah. so, you know, he was teasing. A little disappointed so, you were back so soon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, oh, I kind of hope this would be about a week. <laughs> or maybe your life. Yeah, you know, right, but, right. Uh, Thought I was ready. So anyway, so. That evening after dinner, my dad sat me down and he explained why, why I was adopted. And so when early in the marriage, my mom got sick. So I, I want to say that it was hepatitis, but she was, you know, she recovered, but it, that rendered her sterile. Mm-hmm. But they wanted kids, so they decided to adopt. So, so my dad let me know how much I was loved 
and how and how important I was to our family. And when so there's a lot to take in, you know, a lot of process. So I I've been whistling that, you know, my my whole life, just wondering who do I look like, who do I sound like, all that stuff. And before I, before I forget the story of my actual adoption, my brother was adopted first. And so I was adopted from the Gladney home in Fort Worth, Texas. Correct. And so the story was when they went to pick me up, my brother was allowed to, quote unquote, pick me out. So they directed him over to me. And and that was the, the process of the, the adoption. So I've always said that I, I've always known that I was adopted, but I can connect it to like when I maybe six years old, maybe seven. So I always knew that I, I had an awareness that I was different and I've always carried that with me. So my dad was, was very charismatic and he was a singer and he was a, both my parents were classical musicians and my mom had, she was a pianist, he was a vocalist and she had, she actually got a, what's the Fulbright, a Fulbright scholar from Baylor and she graduated from at 22 with a master's degree in music theory and went went right to college teaching and she also had a as part of the the scholarship she studied in Austria and my dad was out he was able to tag along and um, he was working his he was working on his doctorate Mike's parents were musically talented, charismatic college professors at Modesto Junior College. His father oversaw the opera and taught voice classes. Mike's mom taught music theory and was a pianist in the San Jose and Modesto symphonies. By contrast, Mike characterized himself as a very quiet person until he gets to know you a bit. He sees himself as an observer, which makes him a good teacher because he can see what's going on with the kids in his class. So there's this family movie where we're at one of my uncle's houses. And so it's my brother, you know, my parents, you know, my uncle's wife. And then so there's five kids. So my three cousins and then me and my brother. And in my cousins, they're all like playing an instrument or they're, you know, throwing stuff around. And my brother is hopping around, literally hopping around the room. So and I'm just in the corner, not in the corner, but I'm, I'm near the piano and I'm just kind of watching everything, <laughs> wondering what the, what the hell's going on, all this stuff. And so even at five, personality was different. So both of my parents tried to get me interested in their music and it didn't work. My mom would sit by me for practice at our piano, trying to get me to learn piano. And she would correct me as I was practicing. And it just drove me crazy. And I would say, in my mind, I would say, just go away. (laughs) Let me do this. And so that that didn't work because it was just too, it was too much pressure. And, And just to give it a more insight to that, she broke her right arm. I don't know, maybe when I was in high school in a bar, uh, car wreck. And so she had this, she had a regular cast, but also like a, a sling, not a regular sling. So it went over her neck 
And it's a different type of hustling, but anyway. So as soon as she could feel her fingers, she would be at the piano exercising her fingers. So she was very dedicated, I guess is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was her love. I mean, as a Fulbright scholar in music, you know, yes. the one thing she wanted to do probably was get back to that piano, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I can see that. And- and there was one time at a symphony perf- uh, performance here after the show, we were, you know, everyone was congratulating her and what a beautiful you know, piece and whatever. And so in the crowd and um, I'm standing there and I, I say to everyone, I said, yeah, she missed a note. Oh boy. Oh my God. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I was like 13. So I was just being a jerk. And, but she did because when she practiced, she would just go over and over and over the piece and if you miss something she would go all back to the beginning and then do it again so not so i don't well i know how to play the piano but i don't practice and then my dad in middle school i tried the trumpet and i liked the trumpet but i got the braces my braces at about the same time oh mm. yeah so i i didn't stick with that yeah so about that time my dad decided to probably when i was 14 a freshman in high school my dad decided to put me in a uh, boys' choir, which is the wrong time to start a choir. You know, we are all the choices in your voices and stuff. Yeah, yeah, it changes. Yeah, and it was, yeah, and it was just again that was for me. It was just a little too much pressure, but I really appreciate because of my parents. I appreciate you know the arts and I appreciate music especially. So I have music as a hard, hard, a huge part of my life. Yeah. Let me ask you, Mike, were you into something else? Like, did you find that your passion or drive was towards sports or math or science or, you know, English lit or something? Like, what was your, could you feel something you were drawn to that you just weren't quite given an opportunity to go for because you were in an artistic family? I'm going to, I'm going to answer this different, uh, this way. I'm going to say no, because I didn't know where I fit. Mm-hmm. So, but I didn't realize it at the time. And I do now. So, yeah, my, my dad's side was v- very charismatic. And so I should. So now's a good now a good time to tell you that one of my uncles is actually a character actor. Oh, wow. And, and he's pretty, pretty famous. Hmm. Yeah, it was interesting. So that's a so my dad has four brothers, had four brothers and um, family reunions. They were all on all the time trying to one-up each other and uh, so they were all they all sang one of my uncles was a painter and also had a he had a show and local tv in tulsa he was a he had a, he had a kid's show and also the weatherman in tulsa so just giving you so in that context for for family reunions I was kind of off, always to the side, but all my cousins who were biologically connected, they are performing all the time. Mm-hmm. And even my oldest cousin right now is in a band and his brother for years, he's been in Las Vegas with a band. Their sister is a jewelry designer and has her own shop in two in Oklahoma. And the other one might be in New York. I don't remember. Uh, but anyway, so the family's very ext- extroverted, and I'm not. Mm-hmm. So, but I'm observational. 
but I've always been that way. But I'm, that makes me, you know, I feel I'm interested in other people, but I don't, I'm not extra, extroverted, except when I'm doing my job, when I'm teaching, I, I, I'm very extroverted. When Mike was adopted, his parents were given a folder. On one side of the folder was the, quote, our baby section that talked about him as the child his family adopted. It had a list of physical traits of his birth parents, like height and weight, hair color, and ethnicity, and some of their interests. Mike's birth mother was said to be English, Irish, and French in her descent, and she was interested in music. His birth father was of English descent, and he was interested in English as a subject. So all I had to go on for my whole life was that, was just those those physical characteristics. Mm -hmm. And so I was wondered, I wondered always, you know, where, where are my, where are my people? And because I don't, now that you've seen the picture of my uncle, my dad and my uncle, they're technically twins. I mean, it could be the same person. They're two, two years apart, but they very, they're very similar mm -hmm. in appearance and stature and all that stuff. So those traits of being extroverted, that's what I saw all the time and around surrounding me, but it, never, it didn't connect to me. My mom is very, she was very, like I said, quiet, but she was the perfect straight man for my dad. And they talked to each other all the time and incessantly about anything and everything. <laughs> so, you know, it drove me crazy, but, you know, at my mom's eulogy, we were talking about the fact that you couldn't separate them. You know, they, they were the same person and that's how much they were connected. So I, I was lucky enough to witness that, you know, throughout my life. And, you know, of course, now I can reflect on that. So it was very impactful because I saw this and how they, how they resolved problems with each other and how they dealt with us. And, you know, it was a, so this, that was my model. But still, so people would, would, would remark that when they didn't know I was adopted, that I resembled my mom. Yeah, because she's kind of a, because she's just a straight straight man. And whether or not she whether or not she knew that, <laughs> but I, I didn't know that she was aware about it. She didn't. It just happened. Yeah, um, you know, there's a funny thing that happens. I think with adoptees and their adoptive parents, even if they don't look alike, a lot of times what are perceived as similar personality traits makes yeah. them seem to look alike. Right? It's because they sort of present in the same way. I had this with my adoptive right. father. Like he's a very outgoing, gregarious person, huge, bright smile, all of this other stuff. And I have some of those traits too. And when we would go out together, people would see that combination of the two of us and say, you guys look alike. And I would think to myself, we absolutely don't. But I realized later that what they were seeing was our personalities and how similar they were which made our physical appearances seem to be closer than they actually were. It's really fascinating. Yeah, and that reminds me of one of the many times that I went to a counselor about all this stuff. One of, one of our first questions was, how do you appear when you enter a room? And it's like, I don't know. <laughs> but because I never see myself on that, you know, that way. And so she was asking me to think about how other people see me, but listening to you... Now I understand what she meant. Mm -hmm. And so now I can see why people said that I remember uh, resembled my mom because they just, I was just echoing her behaviors. 
In Mike's first year of teaching, he reached out to Gladney Adoptions in Texas to start the limited contact outreach process. They sent a letter to Mike's birth mother at her last known address. When they located the woman, if she wanted to be in contact, Gladney would contact Mike. One day at school, Mike got a call between lunch and his next teaching period. It was a representative from Gladney. So I, you know, I got very excited and my blood pressure went up and all that stuff. And so I wrote down some quick notes. So the person who I was talking to was explaining that my birth mother was very glad that, that it seemed that I had a good life, that sounded like I had a good family. And, but at that time, she didn't want to make contact. And so at that time, that's all I needed is just to, it was that affirmation that, that she was real. So, cause I've been, I had thought about the adoption for a long, you know, my, my life. And then now I had a connection to the actual person. And so that, so that, that satiated me for years. How um, old were you at this time? Oh my God. <laughs> I'm Roughly. old. So I don't know. That's 25 you were 25 and just curious, yeah. what do you teach? What did you start teaching at that time? <laughs> this is my standard answer. When people ask me that question, mm -hmm. you know, what I teach idiots mostly. <laughs> 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 so that either unnerves people or cause them to laugh. So yeah, yeah. I err to the, to the laugh one. So right now I teach freshman world geography <laughs> I will be more pointed with my question in the future. What subject do you <laughs> teach? <laughs> so freshman world geography gotcha. and, and junior U.S. history. And, and then also it's a combination of juniors and seniors for social and cultural anthropology. Oh, fascinating. Okay. So, yeah, that was, that was a lot, a lot of fun. So you're satiated for a while. You find out, you know, that this woman exists. She's real. She has expressed that she doesn't want to connect at that time. And that seems to be okay with you for a while. What happens next? Yeah. And I should add that one of the reasons that she wanted to not connect for a while was my, I have a half, half brother by her and he was about to graduate high school. And so she didn't want to introduce that trauma, I guess, or whatever for her. So I, I respect that. And so I moved on. About five years later, Mike's adoptive brother was researching his own adoption, and he had hired a genealogist on retainer for the search. When his brother's birth family was found pretty quickly, there was still time left on the contracted retainer, so Mike's brother offered to use his genealogist for Mike's search. Mike had done DNA tests with 23andMe and Ancestry DNA and loaded his information into GEDmatch, but for years there had been no hits. He gave his DNA files to his brother to pass on to the genealogist for them to dig deeper into Mike's past. Within less than a week, the team had found Mike's birth family. They were able to find my parents. Wow. And through you know process of elimination, they said, well, we pretty, we we're pretty sure who your mom is. And we were going back and forth on who your dad is, but we're pretty sure it's this guy. And then when I saw his picture, I was like, holy cow. <laughs> I said, yeah, that's him. <laughs> really? So, Look just like you. Yes, because it's uncanny. Wow. <laughs> How did that feel so, to see yeah. pictures of this guy 
that you really, really look alike? You know, the first word that comes to mind to mind is comforting. Keep in mind, years before, Mike's birth mother didn't want to be in contact. So I really wanted to know how he overcame her hesitancy back then to make contact. Mike took the information the genealogists gave him about his extended family and reached out on social media to maternal cousins, a paternal aunt, and he found his paternal brother and sister. He messaged them all, suggesting they might be related, offering to connect if the other party was interested. Then he waited to see what would come back. So that was a good thing and a bad thing. But one of my first cousins, one of my cousins reached out first on my mom's side, and I explained the story about where I was adopted and how I'm connected to my mom. And when I explained to my cousin, he said, oh, okay, well, welcome to the family. <laughs> like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> so that's my mom. That's my mom's side still. So I reached over to his dad, so my, my, my mom's brother, and he connected, and he said the same thing. And also his, his son, other son, so I have two cousins. Well, that's cool. Welcome to family. Right on. So I, so also I reached over to my brother, and I didn't hear anything, but he resembles me also. And after going all these uh, Facebook pages, I was like, oh my god. So I reached out through a actual letter. I typed one in. I mailed it to him. I said, I said, no, really. I know it's probably spam, and you're probably ignoring it, but I really think we were connected. So if you'd like to connect, you know contact me but he but he hadn't seen my picture but after he'd seen me on facebook he replied via messenger or whatever and he said oh wow i guess we are wow and that's kind of how it went with everyone else actually also on my dad's side that's the same process shortly after that uh, i got a call from my sister and got home and she was, I saw this you know, area code. I was like, I don't understand that, but who is this? <laughs> and it was my sister. So that was, well, it was awesome. That's what it was. How was that conversation? Why was it awesome? You know, I could, I can't, I can't explain it now. I can't, I couldn't then. She's me. It was just a very easy conversation, a lot of laughing, a lot of chuckling. And, and it, it's kind of the same feeling that I can explain now when I went to her house for the first time it was like work walking into my house and it was immediately comfortable really why yes. tell me why how does it how did her house make you feel so comfortable i you know i can't maybe i can explain it in a minute <laughs> mm -hmm. but i have to i have to process a little bit but sure. uh you know, the whole, well, the, the experience and being with the same room with the people that not only, you know, look like me, but they sound like me. I'm an observer, right? So I'm taking everything in. I can hear it. I can see in their man, I can see them, see it in their mannerisms. So they're, they were, she was behaving me, everyone, they were behaving like me. And I was like, oh, <laughs> mm. this is where I, this is where I belong. And then when that extended family came here, like the, the next day or whatever, I really saw it. So, so it's my, this is still my, my dad's side. And so I met all my cousins and their, you know, their families. 
And so as the evening started going, my my um, <laughs> duck on it, that's a stroke there. My aunt, yeah, my aunt, she walked into the room and I was, you know, at the table and she was in the entry right inquiry. And when she saw me, her jaw just dropped at how how much we resemble my dad. And so, you know, an hour later, my uncle, so her brother, he came in the same way. And when he saw me, he had to support himself. <laughs> he was going to fall down when he saw wow, me. Really? And he had, to gra- he had to grab the counter, right? And so at dinner, Lisa, my, uh, my sister, she has a giant round table. So and there's probably, I don't know, maybe 15 people, 15, 20 people at that table, including you know my sister, Lisa, and my brother, TJ, and our cousins and Lisa's kids. They're all standing, sitting around the table, and there was a moment where I was going to flip out because I, like I said just a minute ago, I could hear and see myself in everyone, and it was just – it was bizarre. And I went at one of my cousin's houses, so actually at my my Uncle Jay's house. His house is my house. So I would appoint the house the same I that I have decorated my house, the same – a few antiques here and there, little tchotchkes. It was Christmas time, and so he had some uh, antique you know, Christmas ornaments. Like still in the box, on display because it's Christmas time and all this. So that kind of stuff is the types of ornaments that I would have when I was a kid. And so I was like, what is going on? And then I was talking to my his son, Neil, and I was watching Neil because I observe. And the way he moved his hands and how he was speaking, I was I was, <laughs> I was just flipping out because I could <laughs> I could I could see my mannerisms and hear my mannerisms and on that trip i went with uh jay and his family yeah neil and you know his, and also uh, his sister emily we went for lunch and one of the things we went after lunch is we went to an antique an, an antique store and just browsed around we didn't really talk anything we're just looking so it's me neil and and jay and I had a, the sensation of my family would not do this, and I would. I would go to an antique store randomly, but my family would not. So it was just it was just weird to have that kind of experience. That is so fascinating. It is really interesting to when you finally get around the people that you were cut from the same cloth, and you realize, right. wow, these really are my folks. It's so bizarre. It like, And it's weird <laughs> that it's bizarre, right? It should feel just natural because through the natural order of things, a child should have grown, grown up in their family with their parents and their siblings and cousins, right? But you mm-hmm. are coming in as this outsider, and it feels weird that it feels so comfortable because it has never felt as comfortable before. You know, it's just... It's really fascinating when you contemplate what adoption ends up doing in terms of severing those ties such that when you get them back, they feel weird, right? Well, yeah, just well, well, weird and normal. Leading up to those meetings with Mike's paternal family, he was just trying to take everything as it came. 
not planning for anything to happen according to any plans. Mike wanted things to just be whatever they were going to be. He tried not to set unrealistic expectations. One of his maternal uncles wanted to meet with Mike to explain the family dynamic before he met his birth mother. They planned to meet in San Antonio, Texas, where Mike's paternal uncle's children lived and he was already planning to go for a visit. At lunch together, Mike shared a bit about his adoptive family and what his adoption had been like. Mike's uncle told him that his emergence was going to be disruptive for his birth mother. He said, before you meet your mom, um, I should probably tell you that introducing your, to your mom is going to be a um, disturbance in the force. Hmm. <laughs> what did like, you think oh. he meant by that? Well, again, I'm just taking in the vein of um, that's interesting. And I was thinking, what does that mean? And what does that mean is she didn't want to meet me. And he, she has a very, to put it in cultural terms, she has her own world and she wants to protect that world. So she doesn't, she is evangelical. Really religious, really religious. Evangelical. So, mm -hmm. thank you. Mm -hmm. And she's a member of those huge churches. Yeah, and, one of those um, mega churches, huh? Mega churches, yes. And so, after, so she, so the story of my origin story, my mom and my dad were college kids. So she was, uh, you know, freshman, and he was a sophomore. And we don't know how how they met or for how long they dated. And she had, had actually met my grandparents. And it turns out that my paternal grandmother was a nurse. And I guess they came – she came to – so my mom came to visit the house, and she was feeling a little nauseous. So my grandmother had given her some medicine because she's a nurse, and, and I'm pretty sure it might have been because of me because of the pregnancy. So she left her I – was, I was born in August. So she left her first semester of college and went to the Gladney home for the pregnancy and then for my birth. And then that was that was the, the extent of it. So for her, she had closed that chapter of her of her life. Yeah. Oh, that's really uh, so, interesting. So he so my uncle was explaining this and that my the very you know, very conservative family and you know put the put my mom in a in a home until the birth and then after the birth, you know, she moved on with her life. And so that's why she didn't want to reach out, you know, when I first contacted Gladney because she didn't want her current family to know of that that shame I suppose oh yeah I bet that was a major sin for an, a woman who's now living her life evangelical oh, in a mega church this adoption <laughs> that she oh my gosh that's a major disruption in the identity it, that she now has it is so I got that information and my uncle gave me he gave me the email so I reached out and instead of saying, I think we might be related, I think I said, I think you are my mom, which is probably a bad idea. But <laughs> you know, now I learn. I probably have done something I would have done differently. But when she – the response I got, it was so full of vitriol and just anger and just frustration and how dare you. And it was 
it went on with pages and pages with you know quotes for the scriptures and so i replied i didn't read the whole thing and i still haven't because i didn't i didn't want to know it didn't connect to me at all and it's like whoa that's that's a lot but again i didn't have any expectations and so it's not really going to affect me that much so i was like okay so i'm just gonna let this go and i said well thank you for you know contacting me and in the future if you want to or if you want to connect um i'm here so in my mind i was done i just didn't want to deal with it and after so everyone else i met my uncle my cousins on my mom's side and then everyone on my dad's side were phenomenal and on my dad's side all of them they viewed me as a gift because my dad had passed away like two years before and because i looked like him you know when they saw me they were like oh my god <laughs> it's him and so they really connected to it and so all of them were just like i said phenomenal and so after that experience i was like well okay i can you know i have these people so i'm gonna i'm gonna focus on them yeah. <laughs> and whatever goes on on with my mom is fine so it ends out that after a few more emails she started to calm down and i just kept i kept saying to her and i said thank you for the contact and again if you want to reach out anytime i'm here whatever and so it got easier and easier and probably a month after that first email she called me wow. and yeah and so we talked and she's very she's she's like me she's giggly and she's a happy person and was very thankful that we were in contact and so it actually went well, and I, I so I told her, well, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be in Dallas within a week. I was going to be in Dallas to meet with my uncle and then also my dad's family. And so I'm, I'll be in the area if you want to meet. Just you know, let me know. And she actually agreed to meet, and that was a trip in the same way that it was a trip at, to meet Lisa's house. My mom's house is – it reminded me of a Warner Brothers cartoon. It's a – contemporary house but it's designed like victorian down to the gingerbread of the stuff and so i felt like i was at if i'm sure you're familiar with the cartoons like tweety and the grandma her house looked like that <laughs> <That's funny>. <laughs> <laughs> i was like oh, that's what... it was funny and then i was immediately greeted by her no contact you know we didn't hug or anything met her husband and then they put me in the car and we immediately went to dinner. So no, you know, no chit chat ahead ahead of time, just to dinner. At dinner I did all the talking and they were pensively <laughs> listening. And then after dinner, I had a lot a lot of leftovers because <laughs> I was talking so much. <laughs> so after dinner, she asked, Well, do you wanna we just had a, we just had a new deck built. Do you wanna stay in like have a couple of beers. I was like, sure, yeah, let's go. So they opened up a little bit and about their family, and our our views of the world couldn't be different. But they were very cordial, and like my mom's very giggly. And after the discussion, after we after I left, I was walking to she was walking me to the my car, and she said, "Well, it's very nice to to meet you." And I'm glad that we've had this conversation and get to know you a little bit. And I want to keep 
informed on the milestones in your life, that'd be great. But I'd appreciate it if you don't reach out to your brother. And I was like, okay. And my view is that that's her wishes. And I don't really need to contact. It'd be interesting after, since I, I had our, I had already met my sister and, you know, my extended family on my dad's side, I had them. So there wasn't a curiosity with my mom, with my brother by him. Mm-hmm. And so I said, I, in my brain, I'm like, well, okay, I'll, you know, I, I, I respect that. And then it's up to him. So if she tells him, then he can contact me. Great. Or, you know, when she is passed and if he wants to reach out, I, maybe I'll reach out. But for now, it's in her court because I don't want to interfere. Now I don't need to because I know where I fit, right? Yeah. So when people, people say to me, well, why don't, you, why don't you just reach out? I said, well, because it's not my business. You know, and if I do that, it will damage any relationship that we have right now. So I don't need it. Yeah, I'm glad to hear you say that, too, because there's a lot of adoptees out there that'll say, he's my brother, he has a right to know, we're blood, we're connected, you know, I should have a chance to talk with him. You know, the choices that you made, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago shouldn't have a bearing on whether we get to know each other now. And a lot of people feel very, very strongly that they should be connected with their siblings. And and I hear and respect that 100%. But it's also interesting to hear this other side, which is take it as it comes, you know, yeah. that your relationship started off rocky with your birth mother and you want to just preserve it for what it is. And that it sounds like you're getting so much fulfillment on the paternal side that you don't feel a need necessarily to sort of reach out and grasp for more on the maternal side. And there's nothing wrong with that either. You know, if you're good where you are and you want her yeah. to be good where she is and and you'll see what happens perhaps after her passing or whatever. I, I get that too. There's no reason to push it. Yeah. So yeah. that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That's good to hear, Mike. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Really awesome. Well, Mike, mm-hmm. this has been amazing. I'm, I, I always am so interested in the stories that are not necessarily about how the adoptee didn't look like their parents, but what you've mm-hmm. had is interesting is this, didn't look like them, obviously, but how different your personalities were. You've described yourself as this introvert, this person who's in this theatrical performing family, and yes. uh, and you're just you're an observer, and you're someone who doesn't quite fit the mold of the one that they were cut from. And then to find your own family and see your face on their faces and your mannerisms and their mannerisms and the connection mm-hmm. that you had, even right mm-hmm. down to how they decorate their houses is just really fascinating. And it sounds like it was nuts in a good place, man. So I really appreciate you yeah. being here to tell me this. this is, this is really incredible. Of course. And if you have a, a couple of minutes, sure. um, I want to explain a couple of connections that's going to blow your mind. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> so, <sighs> okay. So when I first got uh, connected with uh, Lisa, my sister, she she told me the story that she and my uncle, the for Morgan, they were in the same place at the same time in the early '80s. And there's a picture. Really? Yes. That's bizarre. <laughs> Where were they? So it turns out that my my dad was in a fraternity. He's a, he was a lawyer. And so he was a, at UT, 
in log in law school. And so after law school, he became like the president of the fraternity, and they were having a function in Dallas, you know, a dinner or something. And so everyone, it's it's a formal affair. So my my uncle is in the same fraternity, and so they had a Kodak moment for the kids at the event. And so there's like eight kids or something in this picture. In the background, you know, my dad or my uncle is in the picture, and and. And so is Lisa. Wild, really? (laughs) Yes. And Lisa is, you know, she's in, I think, maybe four years younger than me. And so at the same event and the same picture. And that that just blowed my mind. That is incredible. Um, Yeah. And then my brother is, is, is a lawyer in Austin now. And I have another cousin, a second cousin, that's also a lawyer in Austin. And they work work at the same building, different firms, but different building. Oh, really? And the same same floor, actually. <laughs> That's and, crazy. Um, well, so I showed the pictures of my, so I, I connected that with Facebook, because um, mm-hmm. uh, my my second cousin has is is Mike Woodward also, and so I was looking at the pages and I noticed that TJ, my brother, was connected to my second cousin. Like no. what the? <laughs> so I, I called over, and I said, Mike, what's going on? Oh, that's TJ. You know, he he works on this floor. We've gone fishing. Jeez, and, uh, they know each other. Serious? That's crazy. Yeah, it blew my mind. So it was just, it was, yes, it's been a trip. It's really <laughs> so, funny. They're not just like lawyers who've had lunch together because they're lawyers on the same floor. They've been fishing and like hanging out. That's crazy. <laughs> it is. It is. So now when Lisa and my cousins or whatever are talking, you know, I, I have more of a connection because I can see the behaviors, right? And I can right. even my ex, in my extended family, my real extended family. It's just it's bizarre. It's, it is bizarre. It's fun. <laughs> cool, Mike. It sounds like you're in a good place, man. And I really love to hear that. So thank you so much yeah. for being here yeah. and sharing your story. I of course. It. Thank you. Take yeah. Care. Thank you. All the best. All right. Have a good day. You too. Mm-hmm. Yep. Bye bye. Hey, it's me. Mike grew up as an introverted observer of people in a home full of extroverted musical performers. When his brother's search for his family ended quickly, Mike was able to take advantage of the DNA testing he had done to locate his birth families. It's always interesting to see how reunions will go and the results are rarely binary, simply good or bad. On his paternal side, Mike was accepted as one of the family, but in Mike's maternal reunion, his birth mother started off angry, seeming to want to keep her distance forever. But Mike was patient and kind and let her know that if she ever wanted contact, he would be there. I was glad to hear that Mike's birth mother came around to meeting him and sharing some of herself with him. And it was good to hear that Mike doesn't feel like he wants to force his way into his brother's life against his birth mother's wishes. I hope his patience to meet his maternal brother will pay off in the future for them too. I'm Damon Davis, and I hope you found something in Mike's journey that inspired you, validates your feelings about wanting to search, or motivates you to have the strength along your journey to learn, who am I really?